with SIBO, this is where there's some positive insight here is they, there's some research out there estimating that 78% of people with IBS actually have SIBO and SIBO is a, an actual problem that can be corrected. So if you do the right things, figure out why it's there and you address those problems and you address that overgrowth, you don't have to accept that as your, your destiny. You don't have to accept that as being your new norm or relying on all of these medications just to help with your symptoms. I'm Dr. Seth Osgood, the founder of Grassroots Functional Medicine. After personally struggling for years upon years with chronic health issues that traditional medicine and pharmaceuticals could not resolve, I finally found relief in true healing through a functional medicine approach. Since then, I've dedicated my life to helping patients around the world transform their health by getting to the root cause of symptoms and restoring their body's natural ability to heal. This experience has shown me that a true state of wellness often requires an integrated approach that brings in multiple disciplines and modalities. In this podcast, I will interview a variety of practitioners and health professionals to educate and empower you on the full spectrum of tools that are available to reclaim your health and vitality. If you are struggling with health challenges and you are not getting the answers or results you feel you deserve, or you simply want to optimize your health and take a proactive approach to wellness, this podcast is for you. And if you like this show and find it helpful, be sure to tell a friend, subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to your podcast. So let's get started. Hey guys, so thank you again for joining us for another episode of the Grassroots Functional Medicine Podcast. Today we're changing it up a little bit and Liz, our amazing nurse practitioner, is going to be interviewing me and we're going to talk all about SIBO. SIBO or small intestinal bacterial overgrowth is a huge problem in our society. It's something we deal with a lot at the clinic and it leaves patients in the community with a lot of questions. So hopefully we can clear some of those up today. And I just look forward to the conversation. Liz, thank you so much for being here and grilling me all about SIBO today. <laughs> well, thanks for having me, Seth. So I thought we would start it off really basic. Let's just get fundamentals down first. What is SIBO? That is a great question. So SIBO, before we kind of talk about what SIBO is, it's kind of important to know a little bit of a background about the gut about the microbiome specifically. So the microbiome is, you know, what the gut contains. It's trillions of microbes, fungi, viruses, bacteria that, that reside in the, the digestive tract. And the majority of the microbiome is supposed to be located in the colon or in the large intestine. Now, what SIBO is, as it says in its name, SIBO is an overgrowth of bacteria in the small intestine. So it's small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. So it's not necessarily bad bacteria. It's simply bacteria that's in the wrong place. So when, when you have too much bacteria in the small intestine, when, when you eat certain foods that the bacteria will ferment, the, the bacteria ferment the foods, put off gases. And uh, when that happens in the large intestine where the there's a lot of room for these gases to expand, it's not a big deal. But when it happens in the small intestine where there's not so much room, that's where you can run into some trouble. And that's what we see in people with SIBO. 
Great. Thanks for that explanation. Another question I think we get a lot from patients is what are the common symptoms of SIBO? Yeah, that's a great question. So SIBO can present with a variety of different symptoms and every case is a little bit different. But probably some of the more common things that we hear from our patients is women will say, I feel like I'm six months pregnant when they know they're not pregnant. Or maybe they have a lot of bloating or gas that's just not realistic or, or not normal. In fact, you know, bloating gas is never normal, but or abdominal discomfort. Some people have problems with weight loss because of malabsorption. Some people have weight gain because of inflammation. A lot of people with SIBO will have skin issues as well. And another real common thing is, is bowel irregularity. Some people, depending on what gases are being produced, have uh, severe diarrhea. Other people will have severe constipation. And then there's a large group of people who wax and wane. Sometimes they'll be constipated or another day they'll have diarrhea. They just can't get any consistency from their, their bowel movements. So could you talk a little bit more about the difference between SIBO and IBS or irritable bowel syndrome? Because I think people tend to get those two kind of confused. Right, right. So IBS, you know, this is what a lot of people get left with as a diagnosis. They go to their doctor, they're having a bunch of digestive symptoms. It could be gas, it could be abdominal pain, it could be diarrhea. And uh, they go to their doctor and they're left with this diagnosis of IBS. Maybe they're given a couple of medications like Bentol or Imodium and just said, hey, you know what? You got IBS and this is what life is going to look like. You want to use these meds to just kind of keep your symptoms at bay. And that's what they're expected to live with for the rest of their life. And in fact, that is what I was told initially. I remember when, when I had digestive issues. So it's really frustrating. But essentially, I IBS is just a name based on symptoms. So it's actually defined to define IBS. It's based on the Rome 4 criteria, which is abdominal pain on average at least one day per week in the last three months related to defecation and associated with a change in stool frequency or stool volume or appearance. So, you know, again, that, that is a very basic and broad definition that a lot of people fit into. But with IBS, it's usually associated, you know, as diarrhea predominant, constipation predominant, and then mixed. And we see a lot of that with SIBO, depending on what gases are being produced as well. But, but IBS is, is a big problem for a lot of people. I think it's estimated that 15% of Americans have IBS. And uh, the problem with IBS is that it doesn't just affect your gut. It increases your stress levels. It affects your immune system. It's been associated with anxiety and depression. It's a big deal and it can really affect your quality of life. But the, the association with, with SIBO, this is where there's some positive insight here, is they, there's some research out there estimating that 78% of people with IBS actually have SIBO. And SIBO is a, an actual problem that can be corrected. So if you do the right things, figure out why it's there and you address those problems and you address that overgrowth, you don't have to accept that as your, your destiny. You don't have to accept that as being your new norm or relying on all of these medications just to help with your symptoms. So it's really important to understand if, especially if you've been diagnosed with IBS, that there are causes for it. It's just a name. You have to figure out why it's there. 
So would you say this is why it's important for our community to know about SIBO? It's just because there's the kind of like a lack of knowledge about SIBO out there? Yeah, absolutely. Because I think a lot of people are living with this problem and they, they don't think there's any resolution. You know, I remember that, you know, again, suffering that from my, it's about myself. You, you'd have to know where all the bathrooms were after you ate because that's where you would be. Or just, again, rely on these medications that were fixing the problem. I remember going through a modium like it was, uh, you know, Tic Tacs. It, it was crazy. And a lot of people <laughs> live like that every single thing. And it shouldn't be that way. But, you know, again, beyond the fact that it, it's uncomfortable, it's also important for people to know about this because there's problems that that go with SIBO. As I mentioned before, if you have SIBO, and not only is it uncomfortable, but it also leads to malabsorption. And if your gut is inflamed, you're not going to absorb all of the nutrients that are vital for you to maintain optimal wellness. We know SIBO as well can can affect the mucosa or the lining of the small intestine and lead to intestinal permeability problems or leaky gut. And leaky gut has been associated with autoimmune disease and a variety of other different metabolic imbalances. So it's it's really important not only for comfort, but also for general health and future health. Another thing, I, another question I think we both get is, from our patients is the question of whether SIBO is like a standalone problem or was this the consequence of something upstream, like some kind of metabolic imbalance or taking antibiotics as a child? How do you usually explain that to patients? Yeah, that, that's an excellent question. And, and like you said, something we receive a lot of, and it's important to ask that question. It's important to always ask why. It, it, and I don't think as with most things, I don't, I don't think it's a primary issue. I think it's the consequence of other, you know, imbalances, as you mentioned. So, so when we get a diagnosis like SIBO, it's not just you treat it, it goes away and you're good to go. You have to think about why it's there because everybody is uh, in that situation for different reasons. And if you don't address the why, then again, you're going to be stuck, you know, maybe with some temporary relief, but it's just going to come right back. And that's what so many people see with the conventional treatments that are out there. And we'll talk more about that later. Right. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit more about the potential triggers of SIBO? Yeah. So that, that's a that's a great point. And that, this is exactly what you want to be thinking about if you're struggling with SIBO or really any other digestive imbalance. You know, some of the more common ones that we see that often get overlooked are low stomach acid or hypochlorhydria. And this is a Topic's a little bit controversial because most people are going to their doctors with, with, with re symptoms of reflux or poor digestion. And one of the first things that's thrown out there are proton pump inhibitors or acid blocking agents. And a lot of times what we find is that actually people are having these symptoms, not because they have too much acid, but because they're not breaking down their food appropriately which is leading to the wrong acids being produced. And that's actually a consequence of low stomach acid. And uh, low stomach acid has been associated not only with SIBO, but a variety of other different conditions in immune-related problems. If you've got thyroid issues or autoimmunity or chronic intestinal inflammation, you know, again, or you're on acid blockers, be thinking about low stomach acid because it is definitely a, a big factor when it comes to SIBO. And we can correct that by adding in acid or, or HCL capsules 
in, in titrating it to figure out where the right dose is. You want to work with your practitioner on this, but that can really be a game changer or even a little bit of apple cider vinegar, you know, with your meals, dilute that a couple of tablespoons and some water and drink that at the beginning of your meals. It's another great way to help with acid production. So low stomach acid, pretty common problem that we see a lot. Another one that we uh, can find is bile acid dysfunction. If you've got problems with your gallbladder or you're not secreting enough bile acid, that can absolutely create problems with overgrowth. Low pancreatic enzyme function is another big one. A lot of people don't realize that pancreatic enzymes do more than just break down food. They also are anti-inflammatory. So if you're dealing with a lot of inflammation in your gut, people are going to actually, you're going to, your body's going to release pancreatic enzymes in the gut to try to quench that inflammation, which can leave you depleted when you need to break down food. Low stomach acid can also contribute to low pancreatic enzyme function. Motility problems or ileocecal valve dysfunction. Those are other big causes of SIBO. So if you're not, if you're migrating motor complex, which is your network of neurons in your gut is not functioning appropriately and things aren't moving through the chute fast enough, that is going to leave room for an overgrowth to set foot. Ileocecal valve is another good thing to know about. That's the valve that separates your small intestine from your large intestine. And if that's not working properly or it's not closing completely, then again, you could have a retrograde movement of bacteria into the small intestine. And that's a, a problem for a lot of people. Goodness, the list goes on and on. You know, NSAIDs, if people use a lot of NSAIDs like ibuprofen or uh, Advil, that can set you up for having digestive dysfunction, food sensitivities, infections. A lot of people will get SIBO after a gastroenteritis and there's autoimmune reasons for that. And then, you know, probably one of the other big things that we see, and I think it's related to motility and vagal nerve function and the migrating motor complex is chronic stress and adrenal dysfunction. You know, people deal with a lot of gut issues, but they're not addressing their stress and they're relying on a lot of these Band-Aid solutions. But really the root of it oftentimes is that, that stress response. So we have to prioritize that and everything else when we're dealing with SIBO. And that's why it's just not a very simple topic. You can't just do one thing and it's going to resolve. You have to really dive deep, get into the nitty gritty of what's going on and get the right testing. So you know where to start. That's, that's a great complex answer. And I know you and I love breaking it down for our patients when they're in the office and we're reviewing labs. If I'm a patient and I'm sitting in front of you, what kind of symptoms might I have if I have SIBO? I know you talked about diarrhea and constipation, but are there any other sim symptoms that are indicative of SIBO? Yeah, I think probably one of the bigger ones, in addition to those symptoms we already talked about, would be food intolerances. Believe it or not, you know, when, there's a, a lot when you just feel like you react to everything, whether it's, you know, healthy foods, unhealthy foods, or sometimes even water. You know, that is a sign that your, your small intestine is you know, very inflamed and uh, you got something bad happening in there. And oftentimes it can be SIBO. I mean, some of the more, the more specific foods that people tend to react to when it comes to SIBO are the FODMAP foods. And if, for those of people who are familiar with SIBO, they've probably heard of FODMAPs. FODMAPs are fermentable oligosaccharides, disaccharides, monosaccharides, and polyols. Uh, and they're short chain, short chain carbohydrates that are poorly absorbed in the small intestine. And so if you're consuming a lot of these and you have SIBO, 
oftentimes people will present with uh, symptoms. So onions, garlic, you know, a lot of these really good prebiotic foods, if those are bothering you, then you know, that's another red flag that you might have SIBO. Right. And so as a patient, how would I figure out whether the SIBO is bad enough, that it's a problem? I mean, uh, what kind of tests are typically run to detect this? Yeah. So there's, there's a couple of different things that we use in the test. The gold standard is a, is a breath test, a lactulose breath test. You can also do a glucose breath test, but you want it to be a three-hour breath test. I've heard some um, stories from patients who have been to the hospital or to their gastroenterologist to get breath tests for SIBO, and they're only doing a one-sample test, usually about an hour and a half in. They're not doing the three-hour consecutive sample test, which is what we offer. Typically people are breathing into, they're taking lactulose, they're breathing into the bag every 20 minutes for three hours. And that's so we can trend out where, if there's an overgrowth and where it starts. When you're just doing a simple one sample breath test, you're only hitting one spot in that, that three hours. So you're, you're more likely to, to miss it. Another thing just to talk about when it comes to breath tests is you want to ask what what gases are being tested because sometimes in the conventional world, they're only looking at hydrogen, but there are now three gases that are, are being evaluated when it comes to SIBO. There's hydrogen, which typically presents with more of a diarrhea scenario. There's methane, which typically presents with more constipation or slow transit issues. And then now there's hydrogen sulfide, which is kind of the newcomer. And there is one test out there now that's evaluating that. So, I mean, there's more to come on that. It's not widely available and they're still trying to figure out the kinks, but hydrogen sulfide is another problem for a lot of people with that we're finding who are not responding to traditional SIBO uh, treatments. So the, the breath test is great. Another thing we use in our clinic that gives us an idea of if there's an overgrowth is an organic acid test. It doesn't tell us the exact gases, so it's not perfect, but it does look at bacterial overgrowth in general in the small intestine. And the other benefit to that test and why we use it simultaneously is because it also tells us about fungal metabolites. So some people have a fungal overgrowth in their small intestine and that gets overlooked and can be equally as problematic. Great. Thanks for explaining that. So if I'm one of these lucky few patients and I go to my gastroenterologist and they order a SIBO breath test and I'm positive in conventional medicine, what does my treatment look like? And is this a solution? Yeah. So, I mean, so it's different every, depending on what doctor you see, obviously, and how knowledgeable they are about SIBO or even if they believe it exists, because, you know, there's still some out there who are not a fan of SIBO, but what's changed the page on this in the conventional world is the development of a couple of drugs. One is rifaximin or Zyfaxin. So Zyfaxin came on the block and, you know, it, it's designed to treat SIBO. So now that that drug's available, it's starting to be more readily recognized as a problem. And that is the standard treatment for people with SIBO. So if you go to your doctor, you get a breath test and it's positive and you, you get the symptom, you have the symptoms to match the test, they're likely going to prescribe one of two things. They're going to usually prescribe uh, Zyfaxin or if you have uh, methane and, and hydrogen together, then they will often prescribe Zyfaxin with neomycin. And there's a couple of other antibiotics that are used as well, but those are kind of the go-to. So 
And, and don't get me wrong, these drugs work. I mean, they, they help people feel better, especially from a symptom standpoint. And it's not that we're against using them, but it doesn't fix why the problem's there. So it, it just addresses the overgrowth. It doesn't talk, it doesn't do anything to fix, you know, all of those, those whys that we talked about earlier. And typically what happens when they're given these treatments is that you know, they may feel better for a couple of days, a couple of weeks, a couple of months, but then boom, they're right back at square one because they're not fixing why the problem's there to begin with. Yeah. And as our patients know, and our fan club out there knows, we try to get to the root cause of these issues. So other than seeing you and I in the office and, you know, being in front of our winning personalities, what is the other benefit for coming to us for treatment for SIBO? Yeah, well, I mean, I think number one, we we deal with it so much. We we see a lot of it in the clinic. And, and people don't come in just for SIBO. You know, they come in from a whole host of different things, but we find it quite often. And, you know, the gut is the foundation of your health. So if it's not balanced, uh, then, you know, it's going to lead to some problems. So we like to make this on, put this on the top of the party list. But, you know, we have testing that goes much further than, you know, what, what you're hearing, seeing with just SIBO testing, again, testing that gives us clarity on what's happening in the gut. You know, do you have enough stomach acid? Do, are you secreting enough bile? Are your enzymes low? Do you have, uh, you know, problems with motility or do you have adrenal dysfunction that's affecting your, your gut? Are your hormones in balance? So, you know, by treating these underlying causes, again, it sets you up for success long-term and it helps create that balance overall. You know, in addition to just finding, working on the root, we also take a couple of different approaches than what you're going to find in traditional medicine. You know, I'm a big fan of herbals and I know you are too, Liz. We use a lot of herbals in our, our practice. We have a couple of products in, that we are go-to, Ciboside, Candicide, Oregicide. Those are some products that you'll find on our store that we have really good luck with. And the reason we use those products is because they have, there's, there's studies actually showing that the, the herbs in those products are as equally effective for SIBO as Zyfaxin, you know, in a lot, and again, a lot more cost-effective and better tolerated, but sometimes we need to go beyond those and we use things with berberine or allicin or artemisinin or, you know, oregano and, and olive leaf, you know, there's all sorts of herbs out there that have been shown to be helpful for SIBO. So you got to figure out what is the best approach you know, is it antibiotics, is it herbs, or is there something else? You know, like I said, we will use medications if you're struggling and uh, you want something that is going to work quicker, but you know, that, that choice is completely up to you. You always have to remember this is your body. And so you have to decide what is going to be best for your body. And just because, uh, you know, it's my opinion, I have an opinion about what I think is right, doesn't mean that's going to jive with what you feel is you're comfortable with. So you always have to trust your gut but again, other things to consider is the right probiotic. Because when you have SIBO, you can get yourself in a lot of trouble by using the wrong probiotics. So, you know, we, we use a lot of spore-forming probiotics in our practice when we're dealing with sensitive guts or SIBO. Saccharomyces boulardii is another one that we tend to use a lot of with that people tolerate and has some good evidence. And then, you know, again, 
if these things aren't getting to it or they're not getting to the root of the problem, you're not fixing that, then you have to get a little bit more aggressive. And a lot of people will go to their GI and they'll do antibiotic after antibiotic after antibiotic and not getting anywhere. And that's where you got to look outside of the box and work on other things. Like sometimes we'll use an elemental diet, which is a completely liquid diet for a few weeks to starve off the overgrowth. Or again, simultaneously work on diets like the FODMAPs or the biphasic diet or an autoimmune paleo approach. And, uh, you know, even in tough cases, we have to use, you know, things to help move the bowels, to help stimulate that, that migrating motor complex and prokinetics. And that could be medications, that could be supplements. But again, you have to look at that whole picture because if you're missing, you know, one or more elements, it's going to really hold you back from achieving optimal results. And that's why you need to find someone to work with who's going to be able to help you through this. But it's, it's a journey. It's not a magic bullet. There's no quick fix. So, you know, get that out of your mind as soon as you can, because that's going to hold you back, you know, but the more work you put into this and the right, if you get the right information, you can overcome this and you can, you can feel good. Yeah. I like how you mentioned right there about working with someone to achieve results. What are the benefits of coming in to a functional medicine provider like you and I, rather than doing this on your own? Yeah. So, I mean, some people will do this on their own and some people will see positive results, but you're doing that by guessing, you know, and the other thing to think of, and I've seen this happen a lot is we've actually had patients referred to us from GI to get SIBO testing. And we find out that they didn't have SIBO at all. You know, they, they had food intolerances or they had enzyme deficiencies or they had, you know, a hormone imbalance or something totally different. So it's really important, as easy as it can be, not to get tunnel vision and see one thing, you know, because you're going to get lost in the weeds and you're going to miss the mark. So, you know, really by working with, with a practitioner, you're going to be able to, you know, get someone else to take an outside look at what's going on. You're going to be able to get testing to give you clarity on what the problem really is. And that is going to help you dive into, uh, you know, the, the solution. And again, you got to think outside of the box. Sometimes it's nothing to do with your gut that's causing the problem. Sometimes you have SIBO because, you know, you have previous trauma that is in your subconscious and holding you back from, from getting better or affecting your vagus nerve, affecting your motility. Sometimes there's toxic exposures in the home, like mold that can affect your vagus nerve and your immune response in your, your microbiome metals. You know, there's so many factors that could need to, that you need to think about. And it's just really hard to do this on your own, especially if you don't have that right information, it'll just drive you nuts. And, you know, that's what we love about, you know, our team at grassroots is I don't know everything. And, and Liz, I know you'd say the same. You don't know everything. We, we, we work as a team because the more brains you have on the case, the better. That's why you work with myself and you work with Liz and you work with our nutritionist and our health coach. We hit it from all angles because it's not a cowboy approach where one person's just telling you what to do. Our goal is to get you better. And we want to make sure we provide you with the right resources and the right support to do that because every, every case is different. Yeah. Teamwork. You know, there's no I in team and we have a great team here. And that's what's great about Grassroots. This was really great. I look forward to hearing from our patients and other listeners what they think of this podcast and if they have any other questions about SIBO that we didn't address today. But before we wrap it up, I know you typically end the podcast with a health tip 
but uh, let's mix it up today. I'm going to, I'm going to throw a new one at you today. You ready, Seth? Yeah. (laughs) All right. How about a favorite product or gadget that our listeners can implement in their lives to optimize their health? All right. Well, we're talking about SIBO. So in gut health. So I'll tell you about something that we have in our practice and I have in my home that I am a big fan of that's really inexpensive, but really great for your gut health. And uh, that is the Squatty Potty. So if you guys haven't heard about the Squatty Potty, I would encourage you to Google it. It's got some, they've got some pretty funny marketing on this device, but essentially what it is, is it's a stool that you, when you're sitting on the toilet, you prop your legs up and it helps it helps with your, you know, aligning your anatomy so you can have a healthy bowel movement without straining. So if you're on the toilet more than you should or you're constipated, this that device is is a no-brainer. It can make a huge difference and it'll help prevent you know, getting hemorrhoids and, you know, fissures and a variety of other things. It can be really helpful for that. So check out the Squatty Potty, Google it, look at their their little videos of their unicorn and uh, their prints that are, they're doing their advertising. That's <laughs> pretty, pretty hilarious. By the way, we don't, we don't get any money for, no, advertising for a Squatty Potty. And I think we should reach uh, out to them because we, yeah. uh, we sell a lot of their products for them. <laughs> right, exactly. But they, they are great. It's, I love things that are simple, but really make a huge difference. I mean, we've been, you think about, you know, how people have grown up squatting to use the bathroom for thousands of years. And now we've got the luxury of a toilet, which I'm not going to bash, but there's something to the squatting position that I think can be helpful for, for regular and uh, decent bowel movements. So check it out. Well, thanks so much. Thank (laughs) you. I'm hoping, I'm actually hoping some of our listeners will take advantage of that because it can, it really can make a difference for people if they do use that. Really can. Yeah. Well, awesome. Well, thank you so much, Liz, for, you know, for interviewing me. And again, you're always a a great host. And I, I hope if, you know, people will reach out, like you said, share this podcast. There's so many people out there dealing with IBS, dealing with digestive dysfunction and likely dealing with SIBO, but have no clue about what the next best steps are. So, uh, you know, f- share this, inform the community. That's what we need to do to get the word out there about some of these alternative options that can really make some uh, big changes in your quality of life and your health in the long term. So thank you again, Liz, so much. Yeah, thank you so much, Dr. Osgood. And thanks to all of our listeners out there. Looking forward to uh, see you guys. Thank you so much for listening, guys. I'm Dr. Seth Osgood, the founder of Grassroots Functional Medicine. Don't forget, you can join the Grassroots private Facebook group to connect with fellow health seekers and find practical tips to improve your state of wellness. Just search Grassroots Community on Facebook to join. And if you're sick and tired of being sick and tired, and you're looking for a comprehensive program to reclaim your state of wellness with cutting edge testing, a team of providers to hold you accountable, and a structured plan of action to not only get you well, but to keep you well in the years to come, check out our adaptation programs online at grassrootsfunctionalmedicine.com. Thanks again for listening and have a blessed day.